I've heard prayers from the pastoral prayers from churches around the world where pastors will begin, Eternal God, our Father. Mm -mm. Eternal Father, our God. I didn't create you to be righteous. I created you to share in my goodness. Jesus says, the Father divided his wealth between them, or the estate between them. Father had already divided the wealth. The Son owned all the lambs. He puts the 99 in the pen and he goes and finds the lost sheep. Welcome to the Impact Nations podcast. My name is Tim. I am your host. And today we are continuing our series uh, as I speak with authors who have written books that have really impacted me in a profound way in the last year. And so today's author uh, is uh, actually he holds his PhD from King's College in Scotland, which uh, that sounds like a pretty awesome place to go study. Uh, but he's also uh, the author of several international bestsellers, including uh, Patmos and The Shack Revisited. Uh, he is here today to talk to us about another one of his books. We're going to jump into that in just a second. But he's also uh, got uh, his uh, his ministry, Perichoresis, where he has been going around the world for over 30 years preaching the beautiful gospel. And so I'm very well, very excited to welcome uh, Baxter Kruger. Baxter, welcome. Thanks for joining us today. I love it. Thank you for inviting me. Yeah, I've been really looking forward to this. Uh, we've actually, we had you on our podcast several years ago when we were... Uh, a much younger podcast. I think the set looked a little different. I think we were recording uh, with a an iPhone balanced on a Dixie cup back then. So we've we've graduated a little bit. So <laughs> glad to have you back. And uh, just before we got started, you were taking me for a tour of your library there. That's that's a pretty awesome space that you've got to work in. Very inspiring. Yeah, this is my little corner right here. This is T.F. Tarts, and above him uh, is the Church Father set. Wow. And in that. And then that corner over there is Carl Barton, Calvin, and George McDonald, and Thomas Erskine, and C.S. Lewis, and so they they get to oversee all the conversations that go on in this room. Uh, what a fabulous metaphor, even there, just th those uh, those giants overseeing. That's pretty cool. Um, Baxter, today I wanted to talk to you about a book that I, I read earlier this year that really blessed me. Um, but funny story, I was, I read, uh, our, our listeners would know I I'm typically an audiobook uh, reader. My son says that's not real reading. He's convinced I'm illiterate, but I do read eBooks as well. And so I read your book, uh, in the, the EPUB version, uh, on Kindle and read it really just highlighted everything. I, I went back later and realized I highlighted half the book, but, uh, it really blessed me. And so I ordered the paper copy, which I, I do, cause I like to be able to hand that to others and, uh, just be able to refer to it later and things like that. But when it arrived, uh, <laughs> I, f I was feeling a little sheepish because it's, it's smaller than I anticipated. <laughs> I, I realized later that no, no wonder I read through it so quick. Cause, uh, it's a, it's a small little booklet. This one's called parable of the dancing God. You wrote this, uh, over 20 years ago, I think. Can you maybe just touch on it real quick? Why, why did you write this book? What, where did it come from? What's its Genesis? Oh, uh, well, number one, that edition is the InterVarsity pocketbook edition. There's a, the original has two chapters and, uh, and even some questions, I think, and that's available on our website, the original. Um, but when we started out in our ministry, um, my friend Steve Horn said to me, Baxter, we're with you, but we're in kindergarten. You're going to have to grow us up, <laughs> and you need to start small. So I wrote three small books, Parable of Dancing God, which is on Luke 15, 
and then uh, one called The Secret, which and which is twenty pages long, and then one called Home, which is about forty. And then we kind of started moving moving up. So you left a paper trail for people to follow mm-hmm. all the way up to the books that we have out today. Which you know, I mean, my first novel, Patmos, uh, done quite well. Um, in fact, it's going to be made into a movie. And, oh, uh, pretty cool. Uh, I got the trans the uh, screenplay just the other day. But back back to the parable. Um, that was originally based on two sermons. One, in fact, a child's sermon um, that I did. Um, and I just decided on the fly, and this was in the Presbyterian church, which you don't do much on the fly stuff. But, um, I just decided on the fly because I knew all the kids coming up knew the prodigal son story. So I said, let's just enact it. So I, I got volunteers and, and you know, the, the, Younger son went off to the far country out back of the church. A few minutes later, he came home, and I went running down the aisle and grabbed him. You know, just and for probably the next twenty years or so, I had a friend that was teaching Sunday school. She taught the senior house, and the first day of class every year, she would ask, him, "What's the best sermon you ever heard?" And for twenty years, everybody said the same thing. It was that sermon where he went running down the aisle and the prodigal mm. son came home, and I thought, "Wow." But the the main issue that Jesus is addressing there, and I wanted to address, is the very character of the Father, and and our, our Father doesn't do abandonment. This yeah. that's not a Trinity concept. That's a that's a Greek mythological. So I don't know where all it comes from. It doesn't come from covenant. As my professor J. B. Torrance said a thousand times a day, um, the God of the Bible is not a contract God, not an if then God. He's a covenant God. And he takes responsibility for both sides of the covenant relationship. I will be your God and you will be my people. And I will put my spirit in you and you will know me and we will dwell together in fellowship. And in that fellowship, extraordinary blessing is going to come through you. Rivers of living water, etc. And Jesus is the fulfillment of that covenant. Uh, but it's all been uh, the gospel very shortly in the Western tradition got wedded with Greek philosophy of, of separation. And Roman law. So if you begin with you're separated from God and you got to get back and you're doing that in the context of a, a Roman legal system, then it's very easy to see how that begins to be. OK, it's a contract. Uh, God's love for you is conditional, which is I'm almost makes me want to puke. Um, it's, it, his love, the Father, Son and Spirit uh, love is eternal. It's irrevocable. It's uh, it's not a temporary thing. It's not conditional. And what we where we've arrived at in Western theology, uh, and there are great notable exceptions all the way through, but it's a bizarre place because I I listen to people preaching um, as much as I as I can stomach some of it, but they're they're literally saying that God is not love. God can love. Hmm. God's forgiveness. It's not real. It's not even real for God. It there's a condition here. We have to meet the condition. We're separated. We've got to get across the divide on the cross. And if we get across, then God will love us. Then God will accept us. Then God will justify us. Then God will redeem us. Then God will, you know. And I'm like, wait, 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 wait. What are you saying about the character of God? I mean, I I'm I've been at this for 65 years. And I, I'm still not graduated from Lord, I believe, help my unbelief. And if, if my faith changes the being of God, I mean, bless his heart, he's in heaven. He doesn't know who he's going to be yet. 
because none of us have successfully made it to 100% perfect repentance and 100% perfect belief. And I'm like, this the whole thing is backwards. So Thomas Erskine in the 1800s in Scotland um, and, and John McLeod Campbell and A.J. Scott, and there were others, but they formed a theological reformation group and they went straight into this. This is the issue you're preaching, the conditional gospel, which was growing if you want to do some more research on this, it start with the Mara controversy, M-A-R-R-O-W. But basically, um, we're preaching a message that is conditional, and God's very being is tied up with it. And I'm like, no, 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 no. Before, before the creation of the world, God is Father, Son, and Spirit, always has been, always will be. They dream the dream of you and me, and they pledge their faithful love for us forever. And and it's unfolded and it went sideways and they didn't have to go, oh no, we didn't see that coming. What are we gonna do now? And the father <laughs> says, I'm sorry, but I don't like them. Jesus, you can go do something, you know, go on the cross and and whatever. And, and Holy Spirit, where where's the Holy Spirit fit into that scenario? So we've got this penal substitutionary theory, which is not the early church. Um, and it's growing out of the Latin legal Western tradition of which we all grew up, which is the only world most of us have ever known. We didn't. I didn't even know there was another atonement theory, let alone several. And certainly when I read Athanasius and, and Irenaeus and Gregory Nazianzus and, and, and one of my favorites is Hillary in the early church, I'm like, this is, this is a gospel that is so beautiful. Yeah. You, Irenaeus in 180, disciple of Polycarp, disciple of St. John. He says, our blessed Lord Jesus Christ, who in his transcendent love became what we are to bring us to be what he is in himself. Wow, that's beautiful. And, and, by, and by that, he meant the Father's Son, an anointed one. So the gift of Jesus to us is Jesus in his relationship with his Father and the Holy Spirit inside our delusion and our darkness. He's saying, walk with me, guys. Walk with me. I'm going to get you out of this mess. I'm going to show you things about my father that are going to blow your mind and thrill your heart and take you a thousand years to comprehend. And I'm going to teach you things about the Holy Spirit factor that you've never dreamed of. And I'm going to teach you about yourself because we don't see you the way you see yourself. Mm. Yeah. We don't yeah. see you. And, <laughs> and I'm going to teach you about your enemies because they're not our enemies. Mm. Yeah, Our children, they may have lost their minds, but we love them. Yeah, and so the, it's it's a, a moment in Western history right now that is already global, where the very simple lessons that Jesus uh, put built into that story of the prodigal son and the older brother, because the reason he told those stories is because he was hanging out with sinners and and drunkards and you know riffraff, the Pharisees, the religious professionals of their day. We're looking with disdain on Jesus because when you hang out and have meals in that culture, you're de declaring solidarity and family. And they're like, how can you be a, a respecting, a self-respecting rabbi and go hang out with people like that? Don't you know that they, they should be rejected? And Jesus said, you've just lost the plot. I'm, mm -hmm. I'm doing this because I only do what I see my father doing. He loves them. These are his children. We don't do abandonment. You guys, you, you, you need a complete theological revolution, and that's why I'm here. Yeah. I've come to show you my father. Yeah. And I'm your father. And, and so the, the very notion that, that a Jewish uh, patriarch 
would run down the streets is just anathema. And you, Jesus has him doing it because that's the way he sees his father. And the Holy Spirit in that story is a mother or is female, just like in the Old Testament. And what is she doing? She's scouring the house. For what? Her lost coin. Hmm. I mean, that That's a revolution to think that the Holy Spirit is scouring the cosmos to find her lost children. I mean, how beautiful wow. is that? I've never heard that before, Baxter. I've never heard the person of the Holy Spirit injected into that parable. Well, Father, you got Son first, and you got then you got Father. I mean, Holy Spirit, and then you got the Father. And what does the Father do? He's got a he's got a hyper fundamentalist uh, Pharisee religious son on his hands, and he's got a secular humanist who just wants his money to go create life on his own terms, yeah. and he lets them both do what they do. And it doesn't have any this this is the thing about being a granddaddy. You you know this as, as a father or mother or even friend, but when you're old enough to have grandchildren, you're there, you I'm looking, I've got six. I'm thinking, not a one of them has any capacity at all to alter how I feel about them. Yeah. I hope their life goes well. I hope they don't make terrible mistakes. But I'm telling you, I love them. My wife, I mean, they're surrounded by uh, four grandparents and a couple of great-grandparents who love them and love them before they were born, when they were still in the womb. You know, and I'm like, we've got a God that does not love until we get everything. we got to trip the love wire. Yeah. That's kind of absolutely contradictory to what Jesus is teaching in his most famous parable. I mean, this kid is coming home having wasted, wasted his father's hard-earned money and 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 estate on riotous living. Older brother's ticked off because his father's throwing a party. How can you throw a party for this son? This son of yours, he calls him. But hmm. if you notice in the in the story, it's deliberate. Jesus says the father divided his wealth between them or the estate between them. So the older brother's out in the field, the religious person, super, super fanatical religion. And he's out in the field and he is some kind of incensed because the father has gone berserk in love and throwing a party, putting his sandals and his ring and his robe on his son because that's who he is. He's my son. And you don't change me to be not your father. And the boy's trying to find his repentance speech. And the next thing you know, he's embraced by his father. And his father's calling for the party. The brother hears music. He hears dancing. He hears life happening at the big, big house. And he calls a servant over and says, what's going on? He says, your brother's returned. The father's throwing a feast. And the older brother's incensed, incensed. And if you read the text, and this is all very carefully placed in there it says the father goes out and entreats the son parakaleo i believe is the word which means to entreat in the power of the holy spirit entreats the older son to come to party and the older son and this is quite amazing father i have never neglected a single command of yours Yet not once have you given me a lamb that I could have a feast with my friends. But this whoremonger and son of yours comes home from the far country, and you go all out. 
and you feel the intensity of it. But I'm thinking this is religion. Yeah. Religion doesn't know. Religion doesn't know that it's already ours. The father had already divided the wealth. The son owned all the lambs. He owned all the all that was left. And and he's working a program to try he's invented a religion or been in some kind of relation with his father. So that that's the core message of scripture right there that Jesus is handing on to us. And thankfully it's one of the most probably his most famous parable. But it's it's got three three different components in it. You got the lost sheep. What does the shepherd do? Throw up his hands. Listen, I've told you three times. You disobeyed me, <laughs> disobeyed me, and I don't care. I don't like you. I don't love you, and you wanted off, so let the wolves get you. You know, no. What does he do? He puts the 99 in the pen, and he goes and finds the lost sheep. And then, and then the Holy Spirit character, what does she do when she has a lost coin? I mean, she's not waiting around for the coin to repent and believe. Or for the sheep to return on mm. its own strength. Yeah. I mean, there's proactivity here. And then you got the two sons. And and there's really, uh, I almost wrote a third chapter um, called uh, The Other Son, the original. Because if you think about this, where is Jesus when he's telling the story? He's in the far country. Mm. Both the far country of Roth is living darkness and delusion and the far country of religion he he's he has not waited for us to come to our senses yeah he has come to us in our delusion our religious delusion and our secular delusion which we're getting real uh, clarity on right now in our in our country he's yeah. in the far country when he's telling this story hmm. yes sir anyway that's to, to me, the doctrine of God, the question is, what is the character of God? The Nicene Creed, very carefully worded. It says, we believe in one God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and all things visible and invisible. It does not say, we believe in God Almighty, maker of heaven and earth. It places fatherhood first. We believe in one God, the Father. That brings in the Father-Son relationship in the Holy Spirit. And then it deliberately places creation of all things visible and invisible in the context of that Trinitarian relationship. Hmm. That's very different. I've heard prayers from the pastoral prayers from churches around the world where pastors will begin, eternal God, our Father. Mm -mm. Eternal Father, our God. Hmm. It's backward. Interesting. It's, it's been reversed. The, the creation of the cosmos flows out of the indivisible oneness and love and beauty and goodness of the relationship of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. So Thomas Erskine wrote a little paper, a little small book called The Spiritual Order. He wrote another one called The Unconditional Freeness of the Gospel. And there's a new edition of that out now, available on Amazon by Richard Leimbach, who edited it. And he is now working on a new edition of The Spiritual Order. But Erskine, in, in the mid-1800s in Scotland, he said, we got to make a decision. Either we are placed on earth and given gifts and spiritual capacities by God, and we're placed on probation to see how things are going to turn out, after which God will make an evaluation, or we're created in Jesus Christ, as John and Paul insist. 
We're created as children in Jesus Christ in order to be educated to become true sons and daughters of the house so that we become so filled with the goodness of the Father and the, and the, the humility of Jesus and the, and the uh, communion of the Holy Spirit and the holiness and the righteousness and the goodness of God. It flows out of us as much as it flows out of them. And as George MacDonald says, we're not going to need any law in the high country. We will be so filled with the Father, Son, and Spirit's goodness. It will be overflowing. If we if we thought that we ever dared hurt anything in creation, we would just soon go out of existence and do it. That's where it's not about probation. It's about the education of the soul, both corporate soul of the human race and individuals. It's the same thing that we do in families. We're, they're not on probation. We give them our names. Yeah. It's not probation. It's education. We're going to walk this out. And how many times have you seen it? You know, people that have done terrible things and, and I mean, just unbelievably bad and terrible things to other people. And, and then they would interview the, the murderer's mother. My son deserves to die, but he's my son and I love him forever. So you got Father, Son, and Spirit who have a lot of time on their hands, <laughs> who love all the time. They've always loved. There's yeah. no Jesus is not sitting at the right hand on a smaller throne. He's in the midst of the one throne, and he's not got a notepad in there saying ten things I got to get right, or my Father's going to banish me from His presence. He's face to face. You are my beloved Son, in whom my soul delights. Abba, Father. This relationship is the way it is from of old. It has now been revealed to us inside our delusion mm-hmm. and inside our delusional theology. This is who God really is. Jesus says, walk with me, guys. I'm, gonna, I, I'm not going to give you instructions. This is John's gospel. I'm not here to give you instructions on how to apply Christian principles to your life. Let me tell you what I'm giving you. Father, I have made you known to them, and I will make you known, in order that the love with which you love me may be in them, and I in them, as the anointed son. Peace I leave with you, not as the world gives, my peace. The very peace that Jesus knows right now, face to face with his Father. And not only peace, my joy, my love. He's giving himself to us and everything that he is in his relationship with his father. Nothing. We're joint heirs with Jesus Christ, heirs of God, Paul says. So, Baxter, like, what would you say to those who would say, well, all of that is true if you have prayed the prayer, if you have declared Jesus as Lord, if, uh, uh, to use the evangelical phrase and Jesus phrase, if you have been born again, um, <clears throat> then you are a child of God. But if you haven't gone through that process of becoming born again, then those promises of being invited into that Trinitarian life are not yet for you. Well, I would say you need to go back to basic Christology 101. <laughs> who, who is Jesus? Jesus is the Father's eternal Son. He's the one anointed in the Holy Spirit without measure. He is the creator and sustainer of all things. If he removed himself, as John Calvin says, from us, we would evaporate. The whole creation would disappear. His very identity, when he becomes a human being, he is entering into our human 
world, and he's entering into our flesh. The word became flesh, not just anthropos, which is human, but sarks, which is humanity twisted. He's entering into our darkness as the one who is already holding it all together. You with me? Mm-hmm. This is the disconnect. You see, when you when you have grandchildren blowing um, soap bubbles, you can say that 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 Caroline created the soap bubble because she blew breath into it. And I, but once the bubble detaches from the wand, it's on its own. She can go in and play, and and there's no relationship. That's not that's not New Testament Christology. The New Testament Christology is screaming, and I said Jesus creates us and holds us all together, and He sustains us. So what happens to all of us when he dies? That's what the apostles are are saying. Paul says it. You know, he died. We died. Adam died. Humanity died in Christ. What happens in his resurrection? We come alive. We're made alive in Christ, together in Christ, Paul says in Ephesians uh, 2. And not only resurrected us, but seated us with him, in him above all rule and authority in this age and all ages have come. Well, what do you call the, the? it's actually cosmic, not just human, but what do you call the human race death in Jesus and its resurrection in Jesus? If that's not the new birth, hmm. it's the recreation of the divine human relationship in Jesus. So if you look at John, he's not telling you, Jesus is not telling Nicodemus, you got to go get born again, Nicodemus. That's not the conversation at all. The conversation is starts out. Nicodemus comes to Jesus at night and says, we know that you have come from God because you could not possibly do the things that we're seeing you doing if God wasn't with him. So there's an implicit question there that doesn't get asked because otherwise it looks like Jesus just launches out on us on his own. But there's an implicit question, and that is, why are you here? So in that conversation, Jesus is going to put Nicodemus into a place where he's going to drop the microphone. Jesus is and walk away. He's going to say, Nicodemus, you can't get from where you are to the realm of the spirit. Can't do it. You cannot, unless you're born again, uh, born from above, you, you can't even see the kingdom, let alone enter it and participate. In it. So the point is Jesus is not saying, I'm telling you what you need to go do. He's asking He's answering the question, Nicodemus, I'm here to be your new birth. You can't do that. All of your religion can't do that. I'm here to be your new birth. There could easily be an I am statement there. I am the new birth, but there there is the statement, I am the resurrection and the life. You know, so that that part of it is basic Christology again. Go back to who is Jesus. And, and, and you begin to see that the apostles are not laying out a bunch of things for us to go do so that we can get across the divide and then get all these blessings. They're telling us that all these blessings have come upon us in the person of Jesus Christ. He's the center of the whole cosmos. So I, faith, faith is not something we do that gets us across the divide to God, then then God can change and become our father. Then we can become children of God. Then we can become um, born again. Faith, Luther said it, faith does not create what it sees. It sees what is there. It's like the eye. Faith is fundamentally a discovery of Jesus Christ in you, and he brought his Father and the Holy Spirit with him. It's a living encounter inside of your own delusion. 
and you're responding to Jesus with amen. Amen. This is unbelievable, Jesus. I'm believing it. And it's a, a, a discovery of what is, what God has made, what Jesus has made in his own being. It's a discovery of what is inside of you, inside of your own despair, inside of the prodigal son, inside of the religious son, inside of the people that Jesus was hanging out with. And it is a a discovery that summons you. You have to make a choice now. Yeah. Before before you didn't see anything but delusion. Now you're summoned. Jesus said, walk with me. I'm going to blow your mind, and I'm going to astonish your heart, and walk with me. I've got you. I've always had you. I've got you now, and I've got you now inside of your own delusion. So um, it summons an acknowledgement. It summons a response, and it's not just one time. It's it's an ongoing thing until we're completely restored in our own inner world. Let me give you one illustration. I got a call several years ago from a local hospital um, from the psych unit. And um, the, the, the doctor said, Dr. Kruger, um, there's a patient here who's in, is in, in a rage. We're, we're trying to get her calmed down, but she keeps calling for you. And I said, well, I'm not a medical doctor. I'm a theologian. She said, I know that, but this is what she said. So is there any way you could possibly come down here? And just, you know, see what, you know, if you can help. And so I said, yeah, I guess so. So I went down there. I'd never been in a psych unit before. I didn't know what to expect. You have to go through a couple of stations. You get back in. I walked in the room, and and this woman looked up and said, oh, thank God, Baxter, you're here. And she said, they won't let me leave. And and I hadn't. And the ball, the, the, the great ball is tonight. And and the limousine's coming to pick me up, and that they won't let me get my dress. I don't. My hair hadn't been fixed. I don't have makeup on. I need to get my nails. Get me out of here. And I said, "What ball are you talking about?" She said, "Well, you're you're coming to it too. You got invited." And I realized I thought this woman is completely detached from reality. And I knew the minute I crossed her in any way that I, too, would become like the nurses and the staff, the enemies that were prison guards, essentially. And, and that's what happened. She basically rose up and threw me out, told me to leave. Hmm. And I'm leaving. I'm dry, I'm walking down the hall, and I'm thinking, oh, my gosh. That's the fall of Adam. It's not an angry God. It's a humanity that's lost its mind. And not only lost its mind, but now tarred the father's face with the brush of its own infidelity and, and yeah. spiritual stupidity and creating a God in the image of its own brokenness. And then religion after religion after religion born. And what good is it going to do to send an inerrant book or another prophet to that woman? You got to find a way to get in on the inside of her, of her thinking. You got to find a way to get on the inside of her delusion. And once you're there, and that's the incarnation. Jesus is not coming to establish a relationship with us in the incarnation. He already has that. We already live and move and have our being in him. We're breathing Christological air. The only life on earth is Christological, Trinitarian life. He's coming to enter our the psych unit, and not only the psych unit, but get inside all the patients. And once he's there, the Holy Spirit's going to start turning the lights on. Now you have decisions to make. Now you have responses. I'm seeing something I have never seen before. Could this possibly be true? I'm going to walk this out. I don't know how to do this. Jesus, I got you. Just take baby steps. 
Just take baby steps with me. I promise you in a year's time, you're going to see my father and your father in a whole new way. Just come on. I got you. And that's the Christian life is walking with a living person who dwells in you. And he brought his father and the Holy Spirit with you on the inside of your delusions behind your filters. Now, that's redemption. That's what happened to Saul of Tarsus. You know, he's serving God. He's, he's on his road to Damascus. He's got papers to go destroy people in the name of serving God. And he has an encounter with Jesus. And in Acts, it sounds like the encounter is outside of him. But in Galatians, chapter 1, where he's theologizing on it, God who set me apart from my mother's womb, which is an umbrella which covers all his Phariseeism, and even the murder of Stephen and a few others, for all we know, would set me apart from my mother's womb when, when God was pleased to reveal his son in me, not to me. To me is external. In me. How do you stop a Pharisee? How do you blow his mind? You show up in his inner world and his delusion in an irrefutable way. And you can't kill him again. This is covenant. Yeah. I'm getting inside both. I'm going to work this out because I'm God and you're my creature. You're my children. The response of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit to Adam's fall was not on our watch. Hmm. We didn't create you to perish and flounder and be afflicted with evil and deceit. We're going to get to the bottom of this. And they have. Yeah. And that's what the incarnation, life, death, the resurrection. Because if you look at the story in the Gospels, you're not going to find an angry God who needs to be satisfied. No, you're going to find there. Yeah. an angry human race. Look at the brutality. The Day of Atonement had no brutality in it in the Old Testament. All they did was slit the animal's throat and sprinkle blood. But the cross venomous hostile hostility enmity vitriol curse because it was damage. us killing god not god killing the, jesus dicedium the, the story is not about sinners in the hands of an angry god the story is about god in the hands of angry sinners mm -hmm. that's how he's going to put an end to to the delusion is by submitting to it that's john's gospel it's so beautiful yeah he submits himself to be brutalized and now he's established his kingdom, which is nothing other than the life he shares with his father in the Holy Spirit. He's now established his kingdom on the inside of human delusion, inside of every human person. And that's why Paul prays that God would give the spirit of revelation. Turn the lights on. You have been born again in Jesus. You need to know that. And this has become something that's real to you. Turn the lights on, Holy Spirit. I want to see what he is. Yeah. Um, Faith is, is the discovery of Jesus in you. In you you describe repentance. Um, you, when you're talking about repentance in this in this book, you said uh, you, it is turning from our grotesque beliefs about God. And that I'd never really heard that definition, if you will, of repentance. But I think that's brilliant. Like it, it's about it's about the renewing of our mind. It's it's gaining full revelation of God, not as we have seen Him traditionally, but as He truly is. Would that be your primary definition of repentance? Like when when we're called to repent, what is it we're being called to do? Yeah, I mean the the word. It, it's incredible that Protestants translate the word metanoia as repentance because that's that is so close to repentancing. And you do it again and again and again. Uh, it's kind of a moral cleanup on your own terms. 
Jesus says, I'm going to clean you up. You don't even know how to define holiness. I am holy, and you're going to be holy too. You're going to walk with me, and I'm going to show you. But repentance is, is a radical change of mind, noose, the radical change of your knowing. It's a radical change of the way you see things. Uh, that's the word metanoia. Be ye transformed by the renewal of your noose, of your mind. And, and that can only come by revelation. Otherwise, we're just trapped in our delusion. We're just going to keep creating things that fit in with the way we see things. And anything that disagrees with it, we just throw out. And then we try to get more more people on our side to see things the way we see things so we can prove we're right about God and everybody else is wrong. And Jesus is saying, no, I'm, I've come to, to uh, give you my eyes. Hmm. And you're going to see my Father with my eyes. And in order to do that, you got to have a blown mind. I'm going to blow your mind. You're going to walk with me. We're going to, you're going to see this. And you're going to see this because I am absolutely determined that you see it. And the Holy Spirit is really good about communication and turning the lights on. So um, the way it's so, it's so amazing to me, modern, modern so-called evangelicals are on the side of the Catholics with the Reformation. Calvin said in Book Three of the Institutes, no one can apply himself seriously unto repentance until he knows that he belongs to God. Hmm. And how can you and how can you know you belong to God unless you're told it in the gospel? The gospel is not a, an if-then uh, invitation. The gospel is a declaration of reality. God is good, as Athanasius said. This God. This is a quote. His little book uh, against the against the Gentiles, God is good and supremely noble by nature. Therefore, He is the lover of the human race. And then He says, "What then?" And this is in His little book on the Incarnation, both of which He wrote in His twenties. What then is God being good to do? when his creation is on the road to ruin. You see, that's the that's the Christian vision of God right there, handed down to us by the, one of the definers of Christian orthodoxy. Um, so repentance is our reorienting our minds to line up with the way God really is and always has been and always will be, which Jesus has not only shown us in his own life, that we have recorded, but he's, He's teaching us about inside of our own knowing, um, our knower. He's fixing our knower. Yeah. And uh, he does that by helping us with our wanter. <laughs> mm. <laughs> That's good. My friend Julie, Julian Fagan used to always say, he said, man, I, I need my wanter fixed. <laughs> I, said, I said, yeah. As long as we believe we can get there, yeah, we're not really highly dependent upon Jesus. And it's for those of us that have fallen flat on our faces. And that's just where we are historically right now in our country and, and around the world. We have been given plenty of time to live out our grandiose theories and our and to work and to work our great, you know, reset. Well, God's reset happened on the cross and resurrection and ascension of Jesus. And and he's given us space and time, as George MacDonald says, to live out our own theories till we make fools of ourselves. Hmm. And cry out and be wise. 
Yeah. And McDonald's quote that I love, it's bunches in his book, Unspoken Sermons. Yeah. One of the best, best books ever written in my view. But he, McDonald says, good souls, many will one day be horrified by the things they now believe of God. So you go from Athanasius, the God of all is good and supremely noble by nature. Therefore, he is the human race. <laughs> to this mess that we have in Western theology. And then you have somebody like McDonald standing up saying, guys, you're going to be totally embarrassed. You're going to be totally embarrassed. But it's all right. You're going to see it, and we're right on schedule. And we're under the education, educational program of the Holy Spirit. And I think one of the Holy Spirit's gems in education is to let us strike out. Wow. Yeah. Not not for vengeance sake or not to punish us because we we cry out from the depth of our soul. I That's don't where we're best think, positioned to really grasp full revelation. I don't even know what perfection is. I don't know what holiness is. I don't know what salvation is. Jesus does. Yeah. And he's the one that's leading the sheep to green pasture that we don't even know where we are. Yeah. So for my, for my mode in the year 2023, I wish that every Christian community or Christian church in this country would hang a big banner out front of their building that says, we know that Jesus Christ is the answer. Uh, we don't know how he is the answer. We're asking him, come join us. Yeah. Too often we project our own answers, our own theology uh, onto God, thinking we've got him all figured out, uh, narrow it down to a, effectively a set of PowerPoint slides, a few pages on a chick track, uh, and and call it good. Like, well, all right, we got him figured out. And then what happens is you then defend your position by attacking everybody else's position. So yes. Christianity becomes a big in-house argument backwards and forwards all the time. And because we have fallen to belief that that if we can build more, if we can gather more people and we can build bigger building and have bigger numbers, then that's proof that our vision is true and everybody else's is wrong. But Jesus says, no, that's not the proof. The proof yeah. is the freedom to love one another. Mm. That's the proof. And it's not even like you mentioned it on the fly in one gospel. I mean, it's the point. And we we would prefer to argue in our heads in the West, big old head argument backwards and forwards. Who can, mm -hmm. who can write the best theological statement with the most Bible proofs and win the argument? And and now that that hadn't worked forever, now we've kind of conceded that and gone over to let's just dazzle people with special effects and uh, and keep the giving units coming. Yeah. Because we don't have anything to say that's going to blow people's minds and astonish their hearts. Yeah. But that that is being recovered because that's who Jesus is. When you meet him, and, and we're right on schedule. I think <laughs> that there's a global awakening happening right now, the likes of which we've never even dreamed of. Yeah. And yet religion is rearing its ugly head trying to fight that. It's amazing as we as we talk more and more about a more beautiful gospel, how much pushback there is uh, that where they don't even want to have the conversation sometimes. Well, there's pushback on two fronts. 
one is going to be the religious uh, because they, they're highly invested. As John says to Aiden in the Patmos story, Aiden, what do you do when you don't see what is? He says, you create something that you can see. Mm. And then spend it with a vengeance because it's all you think you have. But think about this. John 5, Jesus heals a man that been had been ill for 38 years. Uh, he did it on the Sabbath on purpose because he was trying to stir up the hornet's nest a little bit. The establishment comes after him because he's disturbed their framework. Mm-hmm. And numerous numerous times, but on this occasion, because he healed on Sabbath and he made the man get take his pallet up and walk. And Jesus' answer is, my father's at work till now, and, and I'm working. The father loves the son, delights in his son, and shows him everything that he himself is doing. The son can do nothing of himself unless it's something he sees his father doing. So there's the gospel right there in the picture. Jesus is saying to everybody there, I'm here. The son is here, and I'm doing only what I see my father doing in the power and freedom of the Holy Spirit. Come participate. But that is the the gospel is also judgment. And you can see it as clearly as anything in that passage. When Jesus says, I'm only doing what I see God the Father Almighty doing, what have you created over here that has nothing nothing yeah. to do with what my <laughs> father's doing? And he's, you know, we're talking divine here, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. So there's that exposure. But when you've got people that have invested 50, 60 years trying to achieve certain levels within that, those frameworks, that's highly embarrassing and offensive. Yeah. And you better believe they've got to come snuff out this light because, um, and yeah, of course, that's what they did. And Jesus, the Father, Son, and Spirit outsmarted them because they, they murdered him and he used their murder of him as his way inside the flesh. Yeah. inside the deluded world and now no one can kill him again so it's like wow it's this is what happens when you start trying to outsmart god and <laughs> pretty smart uh, they're playing three-dimensional chess with our checker moves yeah on our check on our checkerboard yeah but again i, I don't have any condemnation for anybody and, and and I come from a highly, highly religious world. I grew up in Mississippi, for Pete's sake, southern Mississippi, <laughs> in Presbyterian, conservative Presbyterian church. I, I don't have any condemnation toward anybody. I see it as we're all being educated. And right now is a huge, beautiful, painful, brutal lesson that we're learning, mm-hmm. uh, both in politics, in sector humanism, and in religion. We don't know what the heck we're talking about. And yep. we're trying to impose our our um, grandiose attempts to play kings and queens upon human beings that belong to the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And they've had enough. And when good people despair and start crying out to God, um, and, and the Lord raises up prophets again uh, who see and understand the original and only gospel, and you put those two groups of people in the room, you have encounter. You have amazing things happening that, that blows people's minds and astonishes their hearts and does something inside of them that they cannot do. It cr- creates faith and hope and an, assur- an, un- 
an unearthly assurance, parousia inside of them, and mm-hmm. nothing can take that away. That yeah. was the birth of the early church, and it's the rebirth of um, of the church in our day. Yeah, we're that's seeing so exciting. Right yeah. So yeah. when you say that the pushback, I mean, it's quite amazing to me. I, I've been able to travel around the world, and, and there's definitely pushback, but that's not the vast majority that I encounter is, is conversations like this. Yeah. Because it's good news. It's undeniable yeah. good news. And people want to engage with that because that's that was the original message to begin with. It happened. If you think about the early church, it, it's pretty irrational for the church to even grow in the first three centuries. Because if you became a believer in Jesus, there was a good chance your own family would, would disinherit you. There's a good chance you'd lose your job because you would no longer want to participate in the guilds and their wild orgies and all the stuff that went on. And there's a, there's a pretty good chance that you might be killed. So it makes no rational sense to see this explosion until you realize that what was going on in the apostles' preaching is that they proclaimed Christ in you, the hope of glory. They proclaimed John 14, 20, in that day you will know that I'm in my Father, and you're in me, and I'm in you. And when they proclaimed it, Jesus you know, testified to them, this is true, inside of their delusion, and the Holy Spirit turning the lights on. Inside their delusion, it took their breath away. It blew their mind. Miracles happened. Things started going on that would, that you can't just fabricate and create. These things happen as the river of living water. That's why it exploded. Yeah. And then it became sort of little by little, things begin to get watered down. And you can see that in John's gospel, how he's, he's preaching to the church in many places in his gospel because they had already disassociated or were beginning the process of disassociating salvation new birth, the word of God from the person of Jesus in them. And it was becoming a message. Yeah. It was becoming, you know, things to believe in, not a Jesus to believe in whom you've encountered uh, or are, are encountering with one another. Uh, I feel that coming. That, that I, The Lord's spoken to me about that years ago. He said, back to the, what your heart longs for, you're going to know is fastly arriving when you cannot even read the prologue to John's gospel or, or Romans 5 to 8 or Ephesians 1 without falling out on the ground in stunned awe. That's the next move of God. The next great move is going to be people are going to be stunned silent. Well, That's I look forward to that. <laughs> it's um, coming. Baxter, I want to shift a little bit to talk about, you've talked about being inside our delusion. Jesus gets inside our delusion. And so I want to talk about delusion of self in just a moment. It, uh, I, I want to real quick just pause for a station break. If you're perhaps new to the Impact Nations podcast, uh, perhaps you don't know who Impact Nations is. Uh, we like to say we rescue lives with a really big gospel. This gospel that Baxter and I are talking about today, this this beautiful revelation of a triune God. Uh, we like to take that message and demonstrate it both practically and supernaturally preach it all over the world. Uh, and so Impact Nations is rescuing people from very dangerous situations, whether that's uh, on the brink of starvation or homelessness, uh, abuse, human trafficking, um, gang violence, all of these things in the developing world. Impact Nations is rescuing people from these situations and inviting them into uh, life as it was intended to be, if you will. Uh, and so we're doing that in a lot of different ways. I would encourage you to head to impactnations.com to learn more about how Impact Nations is rescuing lives. Um, um, 
and how you can participate. One example right now, I, I just this morning was learning, uh, you know, many of our listeners would have heard about the, the cyclone that hit Malawi uh, earlier in, in 2023, March of 23 or so. Um, and it wiped out villages and things like that. And we were there very quickly. We were there within days to get food to people uh, and clean water and things like that and really bring relief in that immediate aftermath. But, you know, sometimes we tend to move on um, with our own lives and things. And we forget that actually these devastating storms have long lasting impacts. And uh, we're learning that people in Malawi right now are still starving. Uh, they are still trying to, some families uh, in the churches we're working with are going three days without a meal because they just, they do not have uh, food. Their currency has just collapsed uh, effectively. We saw like 100% inflation in a matter of days. Uh, and so they're very hungry. Uh, you may know that Impact Nations has been there on the ground working on uh, gardening so that they can grow their own food so that they're not reliant on on the local markets and things like that. And in fact, maybe even be able to grow enough food to bring some to the market so that they can earn a bit of an income for themselves as well. Well, uh, we need to ramp up our, our efforts again. I'm just going to tell you, honestly, uh, we need to get them food, but we also need to get them some more gardens. We want to get gardens into the front yard of every home. It's amazing. You know, they're, they're starving and yet they do own some land. Each family has a small plot of land. They've got space to grow food. So we want to double up our efforts to get even more and more families growing their own food so that they can be self-sustained. And so many of these families are, I'm telling you, they are operating in compassion every single day. Many of these are welcoming uh, people in for, who have been just rescued from trafficking. We're rescuing like, like I don't know, five, ten people a week right now at the borders who are being trafficked into Mozambique. We're rescuing them, and then they're being welcomed in by other families and things like that. We're right now we're working on on building uh, a home, uh, basically a shelter for these folks who are being rescued from trafficking, but they're going to need to be fed. So um, we got a lot of work to do, and we would invite you to participate in that. Uh, if you'd like to learn more about that, you can just head to impactnations.com/slash feeding. Uh, you can learn about our feeding programs where we're getting food to people in immediate need, but also working on sustainable solutions through organic uh, gardening as well. So impactnations.com slash feeding to learn more about that. And again, these are this is just a natural uh, progression of the gospel. This is the demonstration of the gospel. This is exactly what Jesus called us to do uh, in Matthew. So uh, I would encourage you to participate with us at impactnations.com slash feeding. Baxter, just shifting back into into your book here, I want to just read this uh, brief little uh, sentence that, that I pulled out of the book here. It says, uh, this is about you coming to know who I really am and therefore who you really are. You belong to me. This is this, this is you're you're putting words in God's mouth, saying it's about you coming to know who I really am, and therefore who you really are. You belong to me. Um, in our culture nowadays, we often hear about people living their 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 own truth or uh, being their true self, their authentic self. In fact, I think in 2023, Webster's word of the year was was authenticity. So that tells you this is very much uh, at the at the forefront in in our culture right now as people being true to who they really are. Um, with those who are struggling to live out their authentic self, if you will, uh, is that because the church has so damaged their understanding of who God really is? Is that really the core problem behind behind this big issue? To me, the number one pastoral issue on earth is our vision of the Father. Um, and that is the, the damage of so much uh, not not limited to, uh, you know, Christian church, but certainly we're we're 
we've got a lot to answer for there. Yeah. How many children's inner world has been so damaged uh, by being taught as I was that uh, the human race is totally depraved, uh, that the human race is, uh, every individual is totally depraved, that the human race is separated from God, that God does not love uh, unconditionally. I mean, these these are terrible uh, lessons and, and ideas to start percolating in a young person's soul. When you add to that, I mean, that information is just confirming what many of us uh, learned in our own youth, you know, that we're born trash, we die trash, that we're no good, we're not enough. It's not enough to be me. I've got to hit a high watermark. I've got to achieve things. I've got to make things happen before I become acceptable. Uh, it's, it's the exact opposite of the real gospel. Uh, and so um, just when you start looking at racism and you start looking at these isms and how they're perpetuated and handed down and the way the mindsets are formed and how do you break those mindsets, I mean, ultimately, the breaking of a mindset is, a, is an encounter with Jesus where he begins to teach you, this is who my father is. He's not like your earthly dad. He's this way. He loves forever. He always loves. He's always good. He's always for you. And he loves you so much, he's not going to leave you floundering in this mess, yeah. even if the mess is something that you, you've done to yourself or done to others. So there, there's the revelation of Jesus in you, as I, as I was saying, is the definitive statement about the character of the Father, but it's also the definitive statement about human identity. There is no person, there is no person as just Baxter. There's only Baxter in Jesus and Jesus in me. And it's the same for everybody else. But when you don't see that, you then have to create something that you can see, which is I've got to go outside of myself and find some identity, some call, some something that's going to make me feel special. And and off we go. And we can spend our entire life chasing one or two or three or four different causes that we think are going to make us uh, feel special inside. For me, uh, all the attainments, all the accomplishments, they don't mean anything. They don't have the power to change how you feel about yourself. The eternal word of God does. He, Your soul responds to him. It's made for him. And for Jesus to begin, to, for you to begin to ask the question, and this is what I want to see, billboards all over the world, at train stations and, and, and airports and at all the interstate systems, big billboard, beautiful, just says, Jesus is in you. Ask you. Hmm. Down the road two or three miles, and and no visit dot 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 what no, Jesus is in you. Ask him. Three miles down the road, ask Jesus if he brought the Father and the Holy Spirit with him. Now this this is the road to internal healing and recovery and overcoming of shame, uh, which is you know, I mean I think we all leave our childhood with exit wounds to some degree or other, and those wounds are really about our self-belief and um they're etched in i am not as i call them i'm not good enough i'm not special i'm not loved i'm not going to make it i'm not there yet i'm not smart enough i'm all these things that are whispered to us by evil and we believe it 
And it's concrete proof and evidence because of the way we're treated often. But then once we buy into all that, we start seeing things that are not really even there and not seeing what is, you know, what is coming is good. But the answer, the only answer uh, is encounter with Jesus. And he's in you. So ask him. Hmm. And if you can't hear him, just ask him why you cannot hear him. But I think what he, what people hear, Jesus, are you in me? I think what he says, and it probably will sound awful lot like your own voice. I think what Jesus says when we ask him, are you in me? He says, I am. Hmm. And I brought my Father and the Holy Spirit with me. And you're not worthless. Yeah. I wanted you. You're here. You're mine. You belong to this family. This is your family of origin. Not our earthly parents and siblings. Our family of origin is the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. That's John's prologue. All things came into being through him. And apart from him or outside of him, not one thing came into being. We have our origin in Jesus, in his Father, in the Holy Spirit. And we're here to be educated on, and uh, um, to learn that. Um, so, yeah, I mean, to me, you you cannot speak about the name of Jesus biblically and with the apostles and the early church without saying Father, Son. You cannot speak the name of Jesus without saying Holy Spirit, Anointed One. You cannot speak the name of Jesus with the apostles and not say creator and sustainer of all things, including the human race. And therefore, when you speak the name of Jesus Christ biblically, you have uh, authentically uh, revealed or seen the light, which tells every one of us who we are and why we're here. We're created in him, for him, by him, through him. He is our he is our brother. He, he is our origin. Our identity is in him. It's in walking with him. Nothing can give us a sense of significance or dignity or value or purpose or meaning. Uh, nothing can compare to encountering Jesus and seeing how he sees you. This, 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 this is where, I mean, a, a broken self-image Inside the broken self-image meets Jesus' view of that person. That's where healing really happens. And it doesn't take, doesn't have to take, you know, a whole, you know, life of therapy. We're talking encounter. But right now, we don't have a, a gospel on our hands in the Western worlds that even tells people that they can ask Jesus, are you in me? Hmm. Well, we're telling people what I'm not, but what people have been Teaching is your Jesus is not in you. He's over there, and you got to get saved and born again, repent, believe, and and do all the dapping and stuff. And you got to get it right, or it's not going to take. And and bless God's heart, he 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 can't even forgive you till you get all that worked out. It's just it's way simpler than that. Hmm. Father, Son, Spirit created us for them. They they have never abandoned us. They have us. They're educating us, and it's about us coming to know who they are and who we are, who I am. And that is not an easy lesson because these things grow out of trauma and wounds. I think the book of Revelation, the, the nativity scene in, in chapter 12, um, where Mary is giving birth to the male child, Jesus, and the, the dragon of old is, is stooped down waiting for her to deliver the child so he can snatch the child away and destroy it. Um, but he's protected and Mary's protected. and But I, when I read that story, I think this is what happens to us as human beings. We're born. Some of us are wounded in are wounded in the womb. 
uh, but but the evil one crouches in the in periphery shadows of our lives and waits for something to happen to us that hurts like hell. Mm-hmm. It may not be that traumatic compared to other things. You know Paul Young's story. You know about his sexual abuse that he went through when he was four, six, and um, but the evil one waits for us. Uh, I've got diagrams on this on my website under perrycreases.org, um, but waits for us to be wounded. And then he whispers, or it whispers, I am not. The opposite of Jesus is I am. I am not good. I am not special. I am not loved. I am not um, enough. I'm not smart. I'm not there. I'm not uh, acceptable. Yeah. And we, because we're young and, and because evil is cowardly, it won't come right out and, and reveal itself. We don't know the difference between the voice of Jesus and the voice of the evil. And we believe I am not special. And it kicks in a whole world inner, what I call the lethal root, the river of toxic waste. And it's flowing out of us whether we know it or not. Um and and, and this is why this is why you can you can hear a sermon that is rhetorically delivered beautifully, that it may even be technically exegetically correct, but it can be dead as hell. Because hmm. it's, it's not flowing out of I am. It's flowing out of I am not. But I can become if I can do. And yeah, so that's what's driving the economy. That's what's driving the world is that we all believe I am not, but I can be if. Yeah. And now we're shopping. And we're yeah. shopping for who can tell me what the if I get or if I I can do or if I can, you know, so we're out shopping external to us again. And we're trying to find something if I can get married or if I can be a pastor or maybe even a senior pastor or maybe start a nominee or be the president or be this or be CEO or be, you know, it's it's always external to us. But we're being driven because of that. I am not. It's not even ours. It's what evil believes about itself. It's not what we believe. But we it's we've accepted it in, and it's so percolated. I mean, when you believe you're not there yet, it will drive you to do extraordinary things. Yeah, you might you might become a SEAL Team Six captain. You might even go to Europe and get a PhD in theology. <laughs> you, know, you might, you know, but that that is nothing. Those things mean nothing to you, to your soul. Your soul mm-hmm. mocks it; just bounces off. Eternal word of God addressing you, asking Jesus, are you in me? Sitting there being still saying, Jesus, I don't hear anything. I don't hear anything. Why are you not? Why can I not hear you? You're the eternal word of God. You're always speaking. You made me to hear you. Help me hear you. And you begin to hear him. his I am spoken to you. The same I am that he spoke in John chapter 18 when a thousand Roman soldiers and the temple police and Judas fell out on the ground mm-hmm. saying the name of God addressing you from inside of your delusion, inside of your I am not. You can begin to take sides with me. And here's an example of, of, of what I mean um, from my own journey. I grew up uh, in one of my, I've got a family of I am nots, but one of my I am nots was I am not smart. And that went on. So when I graduated from the University of Aberdeen in Scotland, King's College, 
a PhD in theology, I, I just thought I fooled him. Hmm. Still didn't believe I was born. Still didn't believe. So one day, I hear, I think it was Jesus, said, Baxter, am I smart? I'm like, Jesus, you're the eternal son of God, the creator, sustainer of all things, eternal word, you know. It's like, um, he said, well, Baxter, I didn't create you to be smart. I created you to share in my mind. Paul tells you you've been given the mind of Christ. Just why don't you use it? You know, and then it, it kind of rippled on. I didn't create you to be good. I didn't I didn't create you to be perfect. I didn't create you to be righteous. I created you to share in my goodness mm-hmm. that I share with my father. I created you to share in our right relationship, which is what righteousness is. And I am the perfecting one, Baxter. You can give up your definitions of perfecting and your techniques of achieving it. Just let all that go because it's not real. It's making a mess. So I'm like, okay, okay. So I don't care if I'm technically smart. That, that's not an issue. But it was an issue for many years and kept me uh, kept me away from things that, that, you know, pursuing some things. But Jesus has a way. He has a way of walking with us in our darkness and in our uh, mistakes and even our sins. And I call the Holy Spirit the redeeming genius. In fact, um, I'll tell a quick story. There was once a man who was a master carpet weaver. He wove the most beautiful carpets in the whole land. And he had a six-year-old granddaughter who had pestered him for an entire year to let her help him weave a carpet. So on her seventh birthday, he presented her with two of his own favorite needles and set her up and taught her some very basic stitches. And off she goes in the confidence of a seven-year-old that this is going to be easy. And she doesn't get a single stitch right. Hmm. But the grandfather so loves her and adores her and is so skilled and wise that he steadfastly incorporates all her mistakes into his overall pattern. And when the thing is finished, it's another masterpiece. That's the world that we live in. This is Jesus's world. It's not American political machines world or military machines world or whatever. This is Jesus's world. And it's a mess. We've made it a mess because of the deception and delusion. And he's in it with us. And he's steadily weaving our mistakes into a masterpiece. And the masterpiece is not a carpet. The masterpiece is us. Yeah, we're, we're becoming living, embodied sacraments of the goodness and faithfulness and joy and holiness and purity of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, because that's what they're doing in the middle of our religion and our secular humanism and all the other. They're weaving this together. And if you start looking for it, you can see it everywhere. You can see it on people's faces. You can see it in their smiles. You can see it in their burdens to care. Mm. Guy changing the flat tire out, out on the road for some lady he doesn't even know. But I saw it not long ago, one of the most dramatic illustrations. My son and I were playing golf. We were on the fourth tee, which is part three, and there was a group in front of us. Two or three of us were standing there waiting. And I looked over in the neighborhood, my neighborhood, and I saw smoke billowing. And I thought, I said, son, that's not people 
burning leaves. That's a house. So we got in our little golf cart. We drove around and got there. And by the time we got there, the garage on this house was fully engulfed. And there was a car inside. And a woman comes running out the front door screaming about her dogs in the backyard. So my son and my friend David run around the back, scale a six-foot fence and get the dog, comes back out. We hear the 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 um the fire trucks coming. They get there, one guy jumps out, grabs a hose, the other guy's monitoring the thing. He grabs his hose at about five, six, five, seven, not a big man. Has all his gear already rolling and gets that hose, squares away in front of that garage, fully engulfed. I thought there's no way he's gonna put this out. They need to be watering the houses next to him because and he hit the nozzle and he walked up in that fire and he put that whole thing out. Wow. Sat there. I thought, I have seen that love before. I have seen that wrath, not on my watch, that willingness to lay down his life for somebody he doesn't even know. I prayed that the car wouldn't explode. And I saw it. And he comes back over and sits down on the side of the road, spent. Somebody gives him a water. And I'm standing there shaking. I just watched the embodiment of the love of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit in action, sacramentally, before my very eyes. And I literally prayed, Lord Jesus, please don't allow some well-meaning evangelical to go over to that young man and ask him if he's gotten saved yet. Dude probably goes to church every Sunday. Maybe even teach his Sunday school, but he probably leaves church every Sunday feeling like he's not enough, mm. not good enough for God. That's the veil being lifted. You suddenly see the presence, not absence of Jesus. He's present. He's good. Always involved. Always at work redeeming. And you're seeing it. And I, I just, I went down to the fire station to, to tell the, just to speak to the man. And, uh, of course, they were gone on another call, and I, I never did get a chance. I just wanted to tell him what I saw. Mm-hmm. I saw the embodiment of Jesus and his Father's love and the Holy Spirit's, you know, passion for life. And that happens all day long all around us, and we don't see it. We've got a sacred, secular world created, and over here is this, and over here. And it's like, no, 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 no. This is Jesus' world. Yeah. He created it. He sustains it. He's present in it, inside the delusion, doing miraculous things. Ask him. Ask him. It's beautiful. <laughs> um, Baxter, as we wrap up our time together, this has been incredible, by the way. I, I think that we could go on all day, but we'd better not. Uh, but I'm quite certain that our listeners would like to hear more of what you have to say and, and want to follow along and stuff. Where's the best place? Tell us a little bit about your ministry, uh, parakoresis.org. Um, if you're not uh, into Greek, then we'll we'll have that spelled out in the links and comments below or whatever so that people can just click on a link to get there. But um, it, tell us a little bit about what you guys are doing there. Well, it's that started 30 years ago with a conversation, hmm. uh, about four or five of us, and it's just spread. So I don't even think of it as a ministry. It's a conversation. And it just spreads. And I wrote books. I've written a bunch now. I've got some international bestsellers. And I think uh, I've got a new book coming out called The Mediation of Jesus Christ, which has a lot of this information in it, plus stories. Um, four or 500 hours of teaching on, on our website. Astonished Heart YouTube, 
um, Patreon class where I'm teaching through John's Gospel. Meets the first Tuesday tomorrow night of each month. Um, and we've got five other classes, the Undiluted Gospel, which is Paul Young and Dr. Bruce Walkup and myself. And that's a, you can take that class on your own time, but then we'll have one that I uh, called um, Introducing the Trinitarian Faith, which is 11 parts. You watch a video, there's supplemental material if you want to read, study, go deeper. And then we all get together live on a class, two hours and discuss that week's thing. Another class um, on uh, on my book, Patmos, which is around here somewhere. Um, it's eight weeks long. Um, and then I, I, I'm failing to remember the other one, the mediation of Christ. It's going to be a class. I've already done the lectures and and, um, and all kinds of stuff like that that we do um, online, these podcasts I do. Uh, I, I don't travel. I'm, for the last 30 years, I've been all over the world, and I, I'm kind of um, doing more online stuff. And I, I usually travel once a month. Uh, do stuff but um there's a lot of overlapping networks um you know paul young and i are great friends we we have done a bunch of stuff together all over the world and still do not as frequently but we do some stuff together online um and some other people like john crowder who's a great friend of mine um that's two worlds it's amazing to see the holy spirit bring those together Mm. um and we've got a beautiful new website um, it's got diagrams on it, lectures, essays, tons and tons and it tons. It is jam packed. I have to say, yeah, I've I've barely scratched the surface. I I got in there and was just blown away. It is beautiful too. Uh, Paracresis.org. Yeah, they, yeah, they've done a, a great job with that. And uh, and I've been told uh, David Peck, who is um, works um, with me, he's from Mrs. Uh, Oak, uh, Oakville just outside of Toronto and I've known David for 25, 30 years, he and Michael LaFleur and, uh, but he's doing a lot of stuff and organized a lot of stuff on social media. So, but basically what you hear, what you heard in this discussion is what I do. Yeah. If you got an hour, you get an hour's worth. If you got 30 hours, you get 30 hours worth of, <laughs> you know, um, I can go on. Um, yeah. This is, Patreon you know, sounds like a really helpful resource for people. Can you just tell us real quick what, what that might be and how people can get, can get in, Included with well, that. go to go to perrycrisis.org and you'll scroll around and see Patreon Baxter. It's called Baxter Live Across All Worlds. Um, and I probably three years ago now we started it meets once a month, Tuesday for hour and a half, two hours. Um, uh, live. Uh, I teach on John. We're in chapter 18 and 19 now at last. Um mm-hmm. And uh, after after we finish that, we're going to go into some other things, probably study some some of Paul's letters and maybe the parables of Jesus, uh, uh, Sermon on the Mount. That's going to be mainly um, uh, biblical stuff, uh, but it's it's really discussion too. So that's amazing because it's there are people all over the world on that thing. It's it's so fun uh, for me and inspiring. So uh, that's the the Patreon thing. If you can you can become a member and you you get all of the old episodes we zoom and it's recorded or you can get them in audio so right. you can go back We've got lots of people that have joined in the last like two months or so and they've gone back and they've they're coming up to speed on where we are now and that's a lot of material to catch up on <laughs> yeah and there's lots of great discussion and questions and so i mean you know i, I could pretty much tell you what the questions are going to be sure because i i grew up in the in the evangelical world and i know my own struggles i knew i knew better early on at 10 years old 
but I didn't know what, what, what I, you know, I, I never have really felt called to be a, in ministry so much as I'm a proclaimer of Jesus. Um, mm-hmm. And it's just developed. And now it's like a big old buffet, all you can eat on our website. And, and uh, it's, it's highly personal. Um, people start caring about people. It creates community um, and all over the place. It's like groups here and there all over the world. Yeah. And it's just quite beautiful. And we've even gotten involved in a little bit about the kind of things that you're doing on, on the ground. We've got a group in Pakistan that we. Yeah, I was speaking to David about, about that. Yeah. Uh, that's something that's what David's doing. I mean, I, um, you know, I, I just told him, I said, I'm, I'm 65 now. We're going to roll the dice and, and hire you to take this global. Um, yeah. and he's doing, he's been doing it for the last two years. And, uh, so if people want to help us out, what we're doing is sharing what we're sharing in a variety of ways around the world on the internet, uh, radio, podcasts, et cetera, books, lectures, prayers, diagrams. I mean, it's, it's amazing how much has been amassed, but it's all about what we've been talking about here and in yeah. stories. And I'm working on a book of stories right now. I'm working on a sequel to Patmos. I'm working on, um, you know, just finished the mediation of Jesus Christ essay, uh, which will be a small book. Uh, and When's that one coming out? It's out uh, in terms of draft, but it'll be out, you know, maybe before Christmas. I don't know. Uh, it's finished. It's been edited. It's now in that, in that stage. And, um, that's kind of a life's work. It's like I, everything I know is like, okay, let's put it all right here. Mm. So we, so the implications are just popping out from every line. So that's going to be a fantastic class. I think we're going to start that probably in the new year. Brilliant. And it'll be, I think eight weeks long. We're recording this in December. I'm going to, we'll air it in January. So, uh, that means that a uh, good chance all those things are happening right around now as you're watching this. So, uh, be sure to head to paracoresis.org. Check that out. Um, get involved in Patreon. It sounds amazing. And also, I think you guys have got a newsletter. So, um, be sure to sign yeah. up for that so you can, you can be catching up on all that Baxter's doing. One of the things that we want to do on our website, though, is we want to, we want to be a place where, uh, folks gather from different streams and things. So David's got this page, all the podcasts that I've done are all on there. And so you can begin to see, okay, this conversation is going all over the place. And, and in these classes, people from all over, you know, the world begin to meet and then they become friends, they become family. And that's that's all kind of under the, the, the religious and the secular uh, radar right now, which is quite typical Holy spirit. Well, Baxter, thank you so much for being with us today. This has been just a, a very, very rich time. Uh, and I would encourage our listeners to check out more of Baxter's stuff. He's got a YouTube channel. He's got all the things going on. Just head over to paracoresis.org. Uh, we'll include the link and you'll find everything there. Um, Baxter, thank you for your time today. We really appreciate it. Hey, let get, you'll get a bunch of questions come back uh, from this and just yep. write them down. And we'll do a podcast on that. Well, I like it. Let's do it. We'll revisit it in a month or so. I like that a lot. That's perfect. Perfect. Thank awesome. You, brother. And folks, uh, if you want to learn more about Impact Nations, do uh, try to participate with us. Head to impactnations.com slash feeding and help us get food to the hungry in Malawi uh, this week. Um, thanks so much. God bless. Uh, we are on uh, the YouTube uh, every Thursday. Uh, subscribe, hit the bell, get the notifications, all those things. And uh, if you want the audio, you can subscribe on your favorite audio podcast delivery app, and that'll just head straight to your device every single week. Uh, and uh, 
We are so thankful that you've been with us this week, and we'll see you again next week. God bless.